Many years ago, I worked for a local TV station as a camera person for the nightly news. One night while we were on set, but not live on the air, blues music came up. Maybe it was the context of one of our news stories, I can't really recall. And the anchor said something disparaging about the blues, even going as far as mock singing a blues verse about his car breaking down. This jumped out to me as an especially prejudiced view of a form of music that boasted artists as diverse as Etta James, B.B. King, and Lightning Hopkins. Surely, news anchorman, you should have listened to any number of branches of blues music that would have given you something far better than an off-the-cuff put-down. But Anchorman, he's like a lot of people. When you bring up roots music like blues or jazz, rock and roll or bluegrass, you invite a lot of preconceptions. It is easy to think of these styles as old and therefore irrelevant. Do you ever wonder why there are so many names for styles of music today? They are practically endless. Just on the rock and roll branch of this musical tree are rockabilly, grunge, shoegaze, trip hop, metal, surf and punk, just to name a few. My take is that there are so many names for music not only because they reflect so many new branches of the musical tree, but also because people tend to think like our anchorman. If it has only the old name on it, then it is not for me. So when I tell you that Justin Golden is a blues artist, don't think that he's making music that is stuck in the past. Far from it. His music starts with the Piedmont blues of his home state of Virginia and grows outwards into soul, rock, and Americana while employing a wide array of instrumentation, like banjo, harmonica, organ, and fiddle, and playing them in both acoustic and electric settings. All 12 songs bear fruit on his debut album, Hard Times and a Woman, which includes the song you're hearing now, titled Can't Get Right. Justin writes more than songs. He also writes home mortgages, and before that, he worked as an archeologist. There was a lot to uncover in our conversation, including his work with blues legend Phil Wiggins, as well as the rich music scene in Richmond, his hometown. All that and a lot more, including more music from his debut collection. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, with our episode on Justin Golden. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. 
Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW, at WNCW.org. I spoke with Justin Golden on a video call in March 2022, and one of the first things I asked him about was his musical upbringing. As a child, like really until I went to college, it was just like listening to radio um, and every now and then a little bit of oldies that my, my parents would play. Um, I didn't really play music growing up. Um, for a brief time, I played saxophone when I was like nine and then I stopped, <laughs> broke my wrist. And that was an easy way to not have to lug the saxophone to school every day. And um, then uh I didn't really start playing until I was close to 19 when I was in college, picked up guitar after my freshman year and um, then sophomore year joined choir and did small groups in choir and um, I just kind of went from there. Where you went to college, was music a a big piece of that puzzle? Um, So I was at Longwood University here in Farmville, Virginia, and um, it's it's a really good music program, I think. Um, you know, I, I had no idea. I didn't go to school for music. I just um, you know decided along the way, and it was it was cool to to sing in choir, and, and it was really really nurturing for me to have uh, to know that I could sing. You know, like before I was like, it's, it feels like I can sing. I don't really know though. And then I get in choir, and then. I'm getting selected for like, you know, four part, five part harmony type stuff. And, you know, out of a hundred people. So like, it was a really good way to know I could sing. How did you meet Phil Wiggins? I met Phil um, through, uh, so I I did a song called I Hate When She Calls. And that was when I first moved to Richmond and uh, shared it with some people and, um, a guy that plays harmonica named Andrew Ali shared it and he was already friends with Phil from uh from Augusta the Heritage Center and um folk festival here in Richmond and I guess Phil heard it and then he invited me to be an instructor out at uh, Davidson Elkins College the next summer. I got sweat dripping from my forehead. I got tears streaming from my eyes. In the dog days of August, Lord, all I can do is cry. Yeah, the dog days of August, devil leaves beating his wife. I got a wrongdoing woman. I got trouble in my life. A bit of Dog Days of August, the title track to Cephas and Wiggins' album from 1984. Cephas and Wiggins picked up the baton from Piedmont Blues superstars, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, and ran with it for a quarter century, with their last record coming three years before John Cephas' passing in 2009. Phil Wiggins, who is a National Endowment for the Arts Heritage Fellow, employed one of Roots Music's most effective strategies in recruiting Justin Golden by encouraging and giving agency to a young up-and-comer. It is a pretty simple M.O. Bring in young players who continue the tradition and expand the tent. 
If you ever wonder why so many people still listen to blues, old time, bluegrass, and other forms of roots music, a big reason is artists just like Justin Golden, who have learned from the masters and have then made their own stamp on the tradition, which leads to more people discovering greats like Cephas and Wiggins and Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. As you will hear, Justin is right in the pocket with continuing this way and is handing off his own baton to students of all ages. That comes up after I asked him how he got interested in fingerstyle guitar. Uh, from the time I started guitar, I always was really interested in that style um, because my mom listened to a lot of James Taylor growing up. And that just seemed kind of natural to me. Um, and I really liked kind of uh, the music I liked was a lot of singer songwriter music um, where they would do that. And um, around the time, I was getting ready to leave college. Uh, I saw these videos of like Shaky Graves, uh, um, Gary Clark Jr. and some other people playing fingerstyle like that. And I was like, that's that's it. When I can play music like that, then I've, I've done something, you know? Wow. So now you're also involved with the Rhapsody Project. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Um, I've been working with the Rhapsody Project for going on three years now uh, to try and bring it to Richmond. Um, it's something that started out in Seattle and my primary focus or primary in, uh, interest in it is bringing roots music education to children, um, especially since Piedmont blues and a lot of styles of blues are from this region. And it's not something that's really known about here. Um, there's very few young people playing that music. Hmm. Tell us about how you got interested in archaeology, because there seems like a great tie between archaeology and the blues, you know, the oldest, basically original form of music in America. Yeah, well, I was uh, in college and figured out archaeology was a thing that you could actually do as a job. <laughs> and uh, it was a really great program. I, I took a class and, and figured out like, this is something that's in the region. Um, and just was really, really interested, um, had the opportunity to do a field school in Southern Virginia and, um, excavate a lot of, uh, this really, really old native American site. Um, and I just thought it was amazing to be able to explore and learn about culture in that way. Right on. How important is teaching to you? Teaching is really, really important um, because I, I really want to pass down some of these techniques um, and knowledge because there's not a lot of people playing the kind of music that I play now, uh, especially not a lot of people of color. Um, and it's it, there's more now than there was five years ago, which is which is really nice. But yeah. um, it's you know it would be really sad to me to to have another generation come by and they don't know this music exists because I didn't know about it until I was in my early twenties, mid twenties. How do the students come to you? Are they all beginners or what, what that, what are, what are, where are they coming from? Uh, I've had students of all ages, really. Um, the majority of my teaching is done at these workshops, but um, I've also taught private students and um, find me online. Actually, TikTok has been uh, a pretty, pretty significant source of people that, that are inquiring about teaching or lessons. So you've got a TikTok. 
yeah, I post slide guitar videos and stuff like that up there and people just eat it up. Here's another electric number from Justin with a bit of lightning when she smiles. Talking about the blues some more, and it has been a while since a lot of the icons of blues, greats like B.B. King and Stevie Ray Vaughan, Etta James, John Lee Hooker, you name it. It's been a while since they've been around, and younger generations are now finding them for the first time. Have you witnessed that sort of phenomenon? Absolutely. And um, it's something that I have uh, I've noticed in Richmond, people have come up to me and be like, oh, what's that music you're playing? And I'll explain to them and, and then they get really interested in it. And like, it's, it's cool to, for me to be the connection, you know, the one that's introducing them to that music. Yeah, being able to see somebody turned on to something brand new that they had no idea that they might like has to be a really good feeling. Yeah, it means I'm doing my job right and, and really honoring the past. Now, on the flip side of that, are there any misconceptions about your music because of the blues roots? It, it's it's basically part of the presentation of your biography, and you know it's obviously in your music. So when people hear that and they don't really have that connection, have you seen any of the sort of misconceptions, perhaps, about what you're doing? Yeah, sometimes if if I'm labeled as blues, you know, everyone wants to jam all the time. And I'm like, this it's not always about the jam. It, a lot of the, like acoustic blues was about expression, you know, especially the country blues. It's not really jammable music if you don't know the song because um, it's just not a set form for a lot of it. It's just, you know, the recording is how they played it that one time. Uh, and if you ever hear people play, uh, hear recordings of, um, some of the older people like Blind Boy Fuller and stuff, and there's multiple takes, it's played wildly differently every time. Um, so that's the biggest misconception is that it's lots of leads or they assume I play lots of lead guitar. And I'm more of a rhythm guitar player that can finger pick leads on top of it. Sonically, there's a lot going on in your album. Can you describe what was in your head going into the studio and how it came out with Hard Times and A Woman? Um, well, going into the studio, um, I knew that I wanted to make an album that felt like a continuous piece of work. You know, I wanted to, to have some sort of glue that kept it together, even though um, as far as styles, there's a lot of different styles on the record. Um, so I was really trying to brainstorm, how do we make it sound like it all belongs together? Like not a group of singles, but an album. Um, so we we wanted to make sure that um, we nitpicked every single sound on every on everyone, you know, and what instruments we chose and what effects were used. How was it working with Chip Hale? He's another new name. I hadn't come across him yet either. He's great. Um, it's my first time doing 
a, a big project with him. I've known him since college. Um, he's really been present since my, probably my very first gig ever. And, um, yeah, when I, when we were in college, it was, I go to open mics and they're like, you should meet this guy, Chip Hale. And it just took forever for us to meet. And then we've been really close since then. I, I convinced him to move out to Richmond and I think both of our careers have done well since then. Yeah. It sounds like a, a collaborative process in the studio with Chip and with all of the other players that you brought in. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Chip and I um, demoed every song, the two of us, uh, for a few months, like three or four months before we got together with the full band to rehearse. And then um, and then we got in the studio and I let people do their thing. You know, I, I got the people that I that I really wanted and um, trusted to do to add something to the record. And it really came out spectacularly. Hmm. Yeah, let's talk about the the names on your record because you've got some some pretty good talent on there. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Tyler Meacham, I think for me that was so Tyler Meacham is a great singer songwriter here in Richmond, and vocalist and arranger, and she's just so multi talented. And um, I asked her to sing backup on one song, and then we just kind of naturally decided to have her do the backup arrangements for the whole record. Um, so anywhere there's like any sort of harmonies, that's that's her arranging. You know, I, I basically said, this is what I would like, you know, in, on some of them and then others. I was like, I don't know what I want. You do something and then we'll see what it sounds like. And I mean, I think that changed the sound for the better immediately. Mm. Let's talk about some of the songs on your album because there's a great variety there's you know the, the ever-present theme of of hard times and it came out of a period of a pretty pretty bad spot for you personally i think where you had already started the album uh you know had had you went through some things and then rethought how your approach was and and uh, i imagine some of the songs were were born from from that moment but um Everything from uh, love, uh, lo love, love, and love lost to uh, confronting social issues like the Gator. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much range in the record, and, and I think um, it all comes down to, at least for the theme, I, I am reconciling my many writing styles as a blues artist at heart. But, you know, as a contemporary blues artist where I grew up listening to so much different music and for a long time, I try to fit myself into a, more of a box of like, I want to be blues, but it's just not coming out that way all the time. And that was like the first level of of writing the record. And then I heard an interview where someone said the blues ain't none but hard, hard, hard luck and a woman. And um then I was like, okay, well, I can make it a blues album and it's still blues at heart, even though it's not all 12 bar blues or whatever, as long as the theme is, is right, you know? So, you know, what's happened in my life, you know, had that breakup and there was all the social injustice and Black Lives Matter going on um, and, you know, George Floyd's murder and things like that. Um, so I took songs, and tried to make them like on Can't Get Right. I tried to make it as like a, a tall tale, 
you know, and on the gator, I just wanted it to cut deep. I wanted, like I kept telling everyone in the studio, like on the guitar solo and that, I said, I needed to be urgent. I needed to feel like this really is really, really important. And that's probably the thing I nitpicked the most in the studio is that I needed this, this guitar solo to rip. I needed it to really like be a sucker punch, like a gut punch, you know? Um, so a lot of thought went into every single song. Let's talk about Richmond a little bit. It seems like you've got a, a really rich music scene. What stands out about it? Um, I would say Richmond really puts a premium on original music. That's something that we love here. It doesn't matter what style it is, um, but people are showing up to see original music more than anything. And we're cranking out national level talent on all front, I think, on every style of music that I can think of. Um, everyone is super supportive and everyone's a great player. So hmm. what are some other Richmond acts that we should know about? Um, well, definitely Tyler Meacham. Um, she just released her record a few weeks ago. Um, Moose Trap is another one of my favorites. That's Chip's band, Chip and Nate, my lead guitar player. They've been doing that since college. Um, Dalton Dash, um, Butcher Brown, who you probably heard of them before. They're jazz band, incredible. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I could, I could talk about that for another hour. Mm. What do you think might be better about the music scene in Richmond or maybe for you personally, what, what could be improved? Um, I think... I think the artists are all doing everything they can. I think the community maybe could be a little bit more supportive before people get famous, you know? Um, a lot of times what happens is that you start reading about people that have, once they've made it and then everyone shows up, like, but come out before that happens because they're playing music all the time, you know? I, I, I talk to people so often that are, you know, quote unquote fans of music and, love local music, but they've never been to like the camel, which is like the hub of local music in Richmond, or they've never even heard of it. And I'm like, clearly, you know, you could be supporting a little bit more actively. So what's it going to take for you to drop out of the mortgage business and go music full time? Or do you even want to do that? I think about it all the time. I think if the record does well um, in sales and I'm able to, to book a good tour um, that it could happen. Um, but, you know, I, I need to have some more security in order to, you know, make sure I have that health insurance and uh, and things like that. But I'm, I mean, I work for myself mostly right now, so it's very flexible already. So until I get to a point where I'm playing a show every night, I'll probably be burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, that ever elusive making it on your own is, is so expensive. I don't know how many people actually understand what it's like to truly to be 
your own business essentially to support mm-hmm. yourself with health insurance with all of the expenses because it's not just you at that point you're paying a band you're basically feeding the beast day in and day out exactly and i want to make sure that i do that you know as uh as comfortably as possible because and responsibly as possible because i as someone that works in finance, I know what things cost for real. <laughs> and I know where we need to be uh, careful. So I'm just trying to, right now I'm, I'm comfortable doing both things and I'm hoping to have the uh, the music become a, a larger slice of the pie, you know. When I get up and when I sleep, I'm gonna spend my whole life loving on you. Every morning, every eve, gonna spend my whole life loving on you. How about it now, honey? We could find a place on the moon far away. We should run away. Then we should run away. We should run away. To apply the ground and fall Justin is making music a larger slice of the pie in coming weeks and months with tour dates on the East Coast and later this summer on the West Coast. You can find out about those on his website, justingoldenmusic.com, which includes links to his music, including this song, Moon Far Away, from Hard Times and a Woman, which was made possible with support from the Virginia Folklife program at Virginia Humanities. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and I hope you will tell someone you know about this episode on Justin Golden and our series as a whole, in person or online. Either way, we appreciate you spreading awareness. Please follow us on your podcast platform of choice, and then take a minute to give it a good rating and a review. Top ratings and reviews especially will make Southern Songs and Stories and the artistic profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where Joshua Ming wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories the music of the South, and the artists who make it. So what's next? What's next is get this record out in a month and um, probably start working on another one. (laughs) 
I already released uh, right after this was recorded. I I knew that this wouldn't be coming out for a while, and I released an, or recorded an EP and then released that last year as well. So I got plenty of songs in the bank. Just need to have a good plan for them. <laughs> 